0: Welcome to Pop Psych 101,
1: where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad
0: and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts,
1: break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape.
0: We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy.
1: This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad. Here, as always, with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Hello, and welcome back, Haley. Here we are.
0: <laughs> Here we are.
1: Here we are. It's almost Oscars season, so we had to, to talk about some, some fun, dramatic Oscar bait type movies.
0: Uh, yeah, and this one is an interesting one.
1: That is a good word for it. We are going to um, talk all about the power of the dog today. Yeah, it's. I mean, we're we're going to get into it after the break. But I mean, it, it's going to take us so many different places.
0: Yes, it really is. I it took my mind so many different places watching it. As I was watching it, obviously, a key question throughout the movie is what is this phrase "power of the dog"? Like, why? why is this the title of the movie? And then at the very end of the movie, you hear the quote, deliver my soul from the sword, my love from the power of the dog, which is a, I think a quote from the Bible.
1: From Psalms. Yes. From Psalms.
0: And that made me think, is there a quote that you live by or enjoy or like?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I try to live by it. It's such a funny question because this is one that I've like, I've locked inside my head. I can think I can almost recite it from memory um, without mm-hmm. looking it up. It is, this is going to sound so pretentious, a Ralph <laughs> Waldo Emerson quote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, here it goes. I think it goes, finish each day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some... Blunders and absurdities have no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You will begin it serenely and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. yeah oh. So that is the quote that I, if I had to say, i try to live by, that is it. Um, because I just like the... The sort of sentiment behind that—that, that, mm-hmm. like, can we just let go of whatever happened today and and let tomorrow be a chance to start over? You know, yeah. kind of like you. I mean, you've heard me talk about how I love like New Year's resolutions. That's basically, mm-hmm. yeah, New <laughs> that's Day. That's basically resolutions. trying to treat every day like a new day, a new yeah. year, a new opportunity.
0: Yeah, I love the the forward movement, committed action part of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So what about you? Do you have one that jumps to mind?
0: Yeah. there. It's a Jane Austen quote, which I think okay. both of us who the quotes come from are very indicative of who we are as people. For sure. But uh, yes, it's a Jane Austen quote. And it's, there is nothing I would not do for those who are really my friends. I have no notion of loving people by halves. It is simply not in my nature. And I've always loved mm. that quote because... I'm one of those people who just like gives everything my all. Like if I am in, I am fully in. And I like unabashedly so like at points where I probably should be more embarrassed about how in I am on some things. um, I simply, simply not in my nature. I dive in with my whole soul and my whole heart. And so I've always loved that quote. And I feel like Between Jane Austen and Emily Dickinson, I feel like those two women have a quote for every feeling I've ever had. Nice. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's something about that. And I I, I don't know if you're a therapist who throws around quotes a lot, but I do like the sort of simple mantra idea, you know, where it's like we're trying to sort of hone in on and you you've talked a lot about values like a specific thing to kind of ground ourselves in like how Mm -hmm. do we center our goals how do we center our actions like i like quotes for for sort of guiding some of that stuff so yeah for sure
0: sometimes we can't put the words to what we're feeling and sometimes somebody Mm. else can i think that's part of the beauty of therapy is you kind of explain your experience and your therapist puts quotes around it in some way
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, or gives gives different words to it that yeah. allows you to kind of connect things you might not have before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that what what a nice note to to dive into this really weird movie on.
0: <laughs> yeah, like we'll see if if the quote at all relates to the movie.
1: We'll see. All right. Well, after this break, stick around and we will jump into Netflix's The Power of the Dog. Hey, everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners.
0: We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound.
1: So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. The Power of the Dog is a 2021 Western psychological drama written and directed by Jane Campion, based on Thomas Savage's 1967 novel of the same name. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, and Cody Smith McPhee. And it, uh, the summary says it covers themes such as love, grief, resentment, jealousy, and sexuality.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's hard to argue. <laughs>
0: And so much more.
1: Yeah, well, it does so with a lot of imagery and like sweeping shots of the Old West, mm-hmm. even though it, as we, as you and I noted, it actually takes place in the 1920s, mm-hmm. which, you know, when I was watching it, at least initially, I was like, in my head, this could take place anytime in between like the 1700s mm-hmm. and the 1900s and the only thing that yeah. set it apart was like the very brief scenes of cars yeah and when peter is in some kind of obvious city although i don't know what city it was supposed to be
0: uh-huh. even then it could have kind of been like a westernish city uh, yeah or like yeah
1: yeah, so we're, we're sort of transplanted into this world that I must admit, I have very little familiarity with. So mm-hmm. I found myself sort of trying to make all these connections between, you know, this world and my own. And it's it feels like as far as like things that we've covered, like the least amount of words said, like <laughs> the least amount of dialogue between uh-huh. characters. Uh-huh. So we're we're left and, and we will surely jump into all these themes that it covers but it feels like we're doing a lot of analysis or or projecting or pseudo-diagnosis of Mm -hmm. what we imagine might be going on for these different characters.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what it lacks in verbal communication, it makes up for in nonverbal communication. And the thing that's hard about nonverbal communication is then we need to put our own words to it. And depending on who we are and how we read the different things that are happening the words that we put on it will look different. Which happened with you and me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it's and the perfect example is like the, the sort of opening scene in which we're introduced to these characters. And so uh, Kirsten Dunst plays Rose, um, who is a widow, and her son, Peter. And they are just sort of operating. It feels like a little Western bed and breakfast or a little mm-hmm. like... Yeah, Western version of a, of a cafe in the middle of nowhere where ranchers who happen to come by with their cattle kind of stop in for a place to sleep and a meal to eat.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's just so, it was so fascinating to think, you know, because immediately the themes that were coming up for me and watching this was like, wow, for people in this time kind of going in between these large out in the middle of what felt like the middle of nowhere, uh, where all of a sudden you're at a little, you know, house, you would think you'd be nice to that person. Why? Like, I, Oh, <laughs> I, I've been out, you know, pushing cattle around for, for days. Thank you so much for this. What looked like a delicious meal of fried chicken. You would think I would be more grateful and appreciative of all the people that I am meeting for the first time, but that's not the case with, yeah. with Phil.
0: Yeah. I think you would be nicer. Yeah. <laughs> phil instead of him being like oh thank goodness he's like i don't have time for you i've been putting up with a lot of bs for the past couple of days give me my chicken
1: (laughs) well right and even like the people who are trying to have a a jolly good time with the piano Mm -hmm. you know he's like he tries to get him to to basically quiet down and let him and his friends uh eat in peace Mm -hmm. but he does not offer that same peace to peter as we are introduced Mm -hmm. to him who is essentially you know the the only waiter in the the little cafe that his mom's operating and Mm -hmm. has made all these beautiful delicate handmade flowers out of paper yeah and and all of a sudden even before and i think you put it in your notes even before we see phil interact with the flowers we just kind of know like these flowers are not going to be treated well because that's who phil is
0: yeah, my very first note is, ah, oh, the power of supportive parenting. And the reason that was my first note was because with the way that it's set up, you you immediately can assume general culture of the location, general culture of the time, general culture just around the circumstances. And immediately that means like a boy with artistic interests especially artistic interests that are flowers not going to go over so well however when it is rose dealing with him she's so supportive of it and you can see him react with pride and joy and um, happiness about his art however then when you get outside the the realm of the parent into what is phil that support the joy of that supportive parenting disappears very quickly
1: Yeah. And all the the toxic masculinity that comes in with the ranchers where, you know, any softness is just not just a negative, but a a sort of like it pains them to see Peter taking his his waiter duty so seriously and the way he holds the napkin and the way he's serving them and the way he's obviously made the flowers and almost like it's it's a threat to their way of life that he's acting that way. Yeah and and so they all kind of snicker and and ridicule him either directly or just by kind of joining in with Phil and then we see you know the sort of softer side of the family in George you know mm-hmm. Phil's brother who's not only attentive to Rose and Peter but goes much further than that really makes you wonder how these two were brothers in the first place
0: yeah well i think it's also a really good illustration of how different circumstances within the same context can lead to different outcomes. So it seems like for Phil, there was a lot of emphasis on this narrative of toxic masculinity, strength, take a shot for Bronco Henry or whatever his name is.
1: Yes, Bronco Henry.
0: And a lot of, we have rules, stick to the rules. Who taught you the rules? And what would he think about this? Um, A lot of emphasis on this is how it is done and as soon as there is a suggestion of not doing it according to the rules as george does that angers phil's status quo and when there's a yes direct threat to how it's done as it is in peter that hugely becomes problematic for phil because he's like that throws off my rules about how things should be done and basically creates questions for me that I don't want to have to face. So clearly mm. this is yep. about you and your problem.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to make this a problem for you mm-hmm. if you don't change and conform to the way I think things are supposed to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then later yeah. on in the movie, we kind of get hints at perhaps there is some sense of same sex attraction with Phil Perhaps he might be gay, might have had a gay relationship with Bronco Henry, Mm -hmm. which again, he doth protest too much. So he's created this really protective narrative. And here are two people on different levels threatening that protective narrative in a way that they aren't phased by. And the threat that that means or the threat that that places for Phil in this narrative that he's created about masculinity and sexuality
1: yeah and obviously so we see george immediately come in and what feels like you know he immediately sort of empathizes with rose and and the situation that rose and peter are in and tries to i guess from his perspective like rescue them he obviously Mm -hmm. is cares very much for rose as far as we can tell yeah and you know once them to come with him, wants to marry her, and it's almost like it, it felt very much like these people have had two conversations, and now they're getting married. What is going uh-huh. on? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that was not something that was necessarily like more common back in the 1920s, but mm-hmm. Rose and Peter maybe did need the additional support, the additional structure, the additional care. I, you know, I, I really felt I felt like I was seeing rose accept this marriage Mm -hmm. almost like reluctantly like yeah we this would probably be good for us
0: Mm, interesting that's not how i read it so the way that it came across to me is that the timeline is more illustrative than it is actual Mm. so
1: that's fair yeah Like it could have happened over weeks and weeks or months. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So like the way that they like kind of film him driving off to go visit her, it almost felt like indicative of like a journey and not just to go Mm. see her, but like the process of the journey. Sure. And there was a moment where like the the maid comes in and goes, he's not joining us again, suggesting that there have been multiple times where he hasn't joined because he's been visiting her. And I think you're absolutely correct in that marriages did happen much sooner back then because there wasn't this, mm. <laughs> what are we, what's happening <laughs> um, thing that happens yeah. today. There, It's way more like right. direct and we're dating now yeah. and I want to marry you. And another piece is that the fact that she even ran a place by herself on her own. Probably the only reason she could do it was because it had been her husband's. So Mm. in order to like actually get any rights and have any rights of her own, the best move for her probably was to get married anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that's sort of what I was picking up on was that like there was something convenient about it because I guess, and you put in your notes the sort of piano thing and I was sort of revolting to that as well where it's like, Does Rose even like this guy? Like, and look, he seems to care for her very much, but we see her struggle with a lot of different things throughout the movie. And obviously, you know, we learn that her husband committed suicide and that Mm -hmm. her son discovered the body. So obviously, they went through a very traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. And we could see how, you know, from Rose's perspective, having George in their life, the supportive, comfort structure. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like, so I think I'm picking up on exactly what you mentioned, which is that Rose was running this business with Peter by herself. She seemed to be a strong, independent person. Why are you going into this, what at least on the surface looks like a dysfunctional brotherhood rancher situation, if not for some degree of convenience or support that maybe might be missing since her husband passed away
0: do you not think that she loves george
1: and maybe it's because as we watched their sort of courtship that Mm -hmm. i was noticing more of the isolation the drinking the fear that she had for her son the piano stuff all felt so weird that it just did not feel like this was a, a happy marriage and why why this guy Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those were the things I, I felt like I was noticing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What I find interesting about those things is, except for George pushing piano on her, which I think mm-hmm. is a topic we can discuss on its own, all the other stuff happens as a result of George not being there and him leaving. That's, that's her fair. Yeah. With a man she is actually terrified of. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the way that I read it is that she likes George and she likes being with him. I think. Evidence for that for me is that at the end, she's happy that it's the two of them. And when they are driving to his ranch and they stop in the middle of nowhere, the way that she like engages with him on that mountain is very loving and supportive. So I think to me, it suggests that within the context of that time and how that marriage was partly Probably convenience, but I think a lot of marriages back then were largely convenience. Oh, yeah,
1: totally. Yeah,
0: I think that's love. I I think the living on the ranch with Phil is where her alcohol abuse and anxiety and and fear comes in. And a good example of that is that she immediately goes from having her son at home, local school to okay, you're going to go to a boarding school where you don't have to be around this man. Right. So, yeah.
1: Right. You brought up some some important scenes that I had forgot about where these sort of clear moments of relief and comfort and, and love that she showed with George. I guess for me, you know, I, I just, if you met someone and that was their brother, are you sure that is the family that you would want to be a part of? But hey.
0: A lot of people marry into families they don't like.
1: Yeah. Uh, to your point, when they were together, I, I do think she was happy.
0: And to the point of like him pushing piano on her, I think that actually happens yeah, yeah. a lot in in relationships, which is you said that you love this thing. Great, I'm gonna super give like I'm gonna really encourage you to do it, rather than like meeting you yeah. where where you're at with it. That feels And like, not only
1: encouraging it though, but actually putting you on stage more or less in front of these very high status people.
0: Hmm. Well, and it's also because he's like, "I love you," and you say you can play the piano. I believe that you can. Why don't you play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play. Like you'll do great. <laughs> I didn't see it. I just saw it as him not listening. Essentially, mm. kind of being so in the tunnel vision of she mm-hmm. does this thing she mentioned that she likes it great that's my narrative without listening to her when she was like hey that's not the whole narrative i don't play it i'm anymore. actually not
1: not super comfortable yeah 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 and i guess that's sort of more what i was picking up on was that he kind of wanted to show her off to these uh-huh. you know what is it, like the governor and his wife and like these very important supposedly important people that came to visit the ranch Mm -hmm. and and to your point sort of like being kind of ignorant that she was uncomfortable she was she would have been uncomfortable not playing piano but the fact that she had to play piano on top of that in front of these people was like a, a nightmare for her so
0: yeah absolutely
1: but it didn't seem so much that she was upset or angry with George for putting her in that position as much as she was embarrassed that she couldn't kind of rise to the occasion
0: yeah yeah i think it definitely spoke more about her and
1: maybe partly because phil was sort of needling her and and emotionally abusing her during the build-up to that scene
0: Mm -hmm. well yeah and also she had been putting in so much effort to live up to those expectations and falling short and then in her moment of embarrassment shame weakness that was when phil was stepping in and whistling the rest of the tune that she couldn't do on the piano and being like well, i can do it why can't you
1: yeah or, or playing it on his banjo uh-huh. Yep, yep, yeah some pretty devastating i mean it if you just sort of describe it in words like oh my brother-in-law is is playing the song that i'm supposed to be learning it doesn't sound so bad but man when phil and, and benedict cumberbatch the actor do it it feels sinister it feels like this guy like knows exactly how to press her buttons um Mm -hmm. and he does so without regard they set him up really as this super villain of the family and and this antagonist of rose and peter Mm -hmm. that just has no regard for their feelings even when george comes in and tells him from time to time that oh rose was crying or what you did was hurtful that kind of stuff he just kind of doesn't even kind of crosses mind.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the main questions in this movie is, like, I guess it boils down to what's going on with these people? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's the question that it boils down to. And one of the questions for more than one character is Does this person have antisocial personality disorder? Mm. Is this person kind of a more colloquial term, would be like, A sociopath. And some of the symptoms for that are disregard for right and wrong, persistent deceit to exploit others, being callous, cynical, disrespectful of others, arrogance, manipulation, impulsiveness, violating the rights of others through intimidation, irritability, lack of empathy, poor or abusive relationships, and those are kind of some of the like really relational symptoms yep. that show up for antisocial personality disorder and they make it very largely hinted at, Oh, is this what's going on? Like, is he quote unquote a bad person? Now I want to make it very clear that that is not what I'm saying about people who have this disorder. That's mm-hmm. what the narrative is asking. But then you introduce this question of a potential Confidant or love interest. And suddenly, those symptoms seem less like a personality disorder and more like a protective shield. Mm. That protecting that toxic narrative that he has, that potentially internalized homophobia that he has. And he starts to be really thoughtful about Peter and he wants to make him a gift, even to the point that, like, when he's literally dying, he's like, I want to make sure that Peter gets this. And asking him to come with him and asking him about himself when they're out hunting together. But then even parts of those don't feel as connected as you want. But then there's also the questions about mm. like his, lo- his potential love of Bronco Henry. Was it love or was it admiration or was it both? And it really brings up a lot of those questions of like, is this a personality disorder or is this a set of... Protective symptoms.
1: I think that's why people are kind of gravitating to this movie as a potential Oscar winner is because the characters are very complex. So I think that's complex. that's what we're acknowledging here is that there are these, despite the lack of dialogue at some time mm-hmm. some points. There are, each character is multifaceted. We could explain their actions or we could diagnose their personality or their presentation in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a credit to the acting and the writing. But I think it's also, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, this sort of idea of, it's like a little bit of a blank slate that we, we in some ways, get to see not whatever we want, but we can kind of project our own feelings and our own yeah. experiences onto these characters and their experiences. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you want to share the big way in which you and I projected narratives differently onto one of the characters? Yeah, well, I
1: think, I think that's <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why I, I sort of struggled with like, how are we going to talk about this movie? And like, the only angles I'm coming up with are XYZ and, and our angles were very different. So for yeah. me, <laughs> you know, I'm watching these characters <laughs> I'm watching these characters in what feels like the Old West isolation, middle of nowhere. And I'm like, wow, okay, so i'm watching rose in particular and the more i talk about rose the more i feel like i was like very protective of her and peter watching this like you just should have never left what you had because i think in my head it was like well they're already isolated so is it better to be isolated with an emotional abuser or just isolated and be on your own but Mm -hmm. this sort of theme of well all these characters have so little interaction around them like this the shots of peter just sort of like what sometimes seems just like walking around in the wheat fields, like chasing mm-hmm. butterflies, like, man, these characters are so on their own amidst mm-hmm. this, in some ways, like harsh environment. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways, they were situated up like quite nicely, probably for the, the time in which they lived. But but with all the things they were dealing with, it just feels like no one is around. Mm hmm. And like the idea of struggling with alcoholism or struggling with sexuality or struggling with guilt or or trauma, the idea of doing any of these things and not being able to talk to anyone about it or not mm-hmm. having anyone that could relate to or understand your experience just felt like this extreme isolation. And and I was kind of relating it to in some ways like the current pandemic. And obviously things are shifting month to month now it feels like but for so long there and i still have days and weeks like this where it's just like i haven't really left my house i've Mm -hmm. you know i've done the walk around the block with the dog and picked my daughter up from school but i haven't really gone anywhere Mm -hmm. and i might as well be out in the middle of the west you know Mm -hmm. just sort of occasionally seeing people as it feels like they were
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so that's where my head was going yeah watching this yeah what
0: i think is kind of humorous and fun is this was not the difference that was in my mind, but this was another difference that you and I experienced. And this one, the part that I, that we were very similar on is the feeling of loneliness. I uh, wrote a note that was like, I feel like everything that we watch lately boils down to like loneliness is the worst. (laughs) However, Uh, (laughs) for you, when you were describing it to me, a lot of what you were using was how the environment is so isolating and everything about it feels so isolated and in the middle of nowhere and things like that was like a lot of the language you were using. And my response to you before this was, do you think this is because you're an East coaster? (laughs) (laughs) I like suddenly became really curious because that's like, where sense are their of...
1: neighbors? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I can't hear their neighbors. What was really interesting to me was I was like, that emotional loneliness, absolutely. However, that like intense sense of like isolation never crossed my mind. And mm. I live in Colorado. And before Colorado, I lived in Nevada. Both states where like, other than the, the city centers, not much going on in the rest of the state. And so the idea- A lot of that, ranch
1: land out there, sure. <laughs> particularly
0: in Colorado, so much ranch land. Even at one point, I looked up like, where is this movie set? Because I was like, they're for sure in Colorado. <laughs> they're in Montana. But to me, the idea that like someone would live on a ranch by themselves within driving distance of a small town or another person, but not right near somebody feels normal. like not
1: Mm, not the
0: only option but also like very clearly an option and also sometimes an option that i think i would like Mm. and so (laughs) it was really interesting to me as you were saying that that was your experience of watching this movie my reaction to you was like is this two different cultures seeing the same thing differently and this movie definitely allows a lot of Portraying—it's almost like a projective test. It's like a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a movie Rorschach, putting yep. your stuff on the way that you see the movie and watch the movie.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true because you know, and I think the the other—if there's another similarity with like today—and this this I think speaks to the the lonelinesses that you're describing—is that certainly communities, more rural communities, have less access to mental health services Uh that's just a fact yes and exponentially more true you know a hundred years ago basically Mm -hmm. so the idea that these characters as you and i talked about in the upfront, would have the language to say seeing my dad's body after he committed suicide was traumatic Mm -hmm. is not language that that peter had access to he was able to tell the story in a very like plain like yeah i went through this kind of way but but to be able to say anything more specific about his emotional state as a result of that experience was just kind of left up to the imagination
0: Mm -hmm. and also a lot of survival in the west really did boil down to just like pushing through it grit whether it was oregon trail donner party Mm -hmm. or yeah. ranchers who stopped along the way. Yep. It really boiled down to like if you stopped to think about how hard the winters are in Montana or how hard ranching is or how dangerous interacting with local native tribes can be, you're just going to be stressed out all the time. And so a lot of it was just kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep farming Mm -hmm.
1: back on the horse.
0: Yep. Within the context of toxic masculinity. So even having feelings is not allowed. Even like, even if you did give yourself a moment to have them within the context of for Rose abuse, gaslighting, torture, right? Like mental torture. So for Rose, the way that she deals with it is she starts drinking because she, doesn't have the language, doesn't have the resources. And quite frankly, like there isn't the culture for her to really do it any other way.
1: Yeah, and she's we can project some feelings onto her, right? She's clearly scared for Peter, especially when he is at the ranch and starts hanging around Phil. She's certainly lonely for some reason George is not around that often. So she ends up in these little like back and forth games with Phil between the piano music and then the the cow hides where she she's kind of acting very self-protectively but also impulsively mm-hmm. to kind of do things to stay safe but at the same time just to kind of numb herself especially with the alcohol use mm-hmm. you know she's just desperately clinging to whatever helps her get through that that moment mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you wrote in your notes the sort of irony of her having an alcohol problem during Prohibition, mm-hmm. but whether it was alcohol or like other isolative type behavior, the idea of looking for something kind of outside of yourself to help numb the pain or the fear of the things that you're dealing with mm-hmm. is, is a, an experience I think a lot of people can relate to.
0: Well, yeah. And particularly, you see that she relies on her relationship with Peter a lot. And when she's really struggling, it shows up in a really codependent way. Yes. And it becomes worse when suddenly he starts spending time with the person that she thinks she's protecting him from. And so now not only are you not here for me, you're also off with him and the fear and anxiety associated with that is also another layer that she has to deal with because there's this weird commingling of Peter not wanting to spend time with her because she's drunk, but also seeing her struggle may or may not be part of the reason why he is now spending time with Phil. Which I think leads us into the other thing that you and I did not see the same in this movie Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: was Peter's behaviors and intentions
1: yeah so especially once we see Peter kind of around the ranch and Trying to acclimate—it's fascinating for me. And I I think I—I don't know—I was probably projecting all over this movie because I did feel like I related a little bit to Peter, where it's just sort of like fish out of water, or whatever metaphor you want to use. Where it's just like I don't know how to fit in in this weird place. These are my nice pressed jeans and my fancy hat that I bought at the hat store before (laughs) coming out to the ranch. I hope no one bothers me, and I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing. I'm into animals. And meanwhile, all of the kind of bullies around you just sort of mercilessly ridiculing you. And and I guess this was the interesting part because for me I was just like, oh man, he and he he doesn't even pay any mind to it. Like mm-hmm. at least on the surface, it feels like he's able to be kind of unaffected. But I wonder if you're going to say like, well, yeah, it's because he's this. <laughs>
0: yes. So I was going to say, it's interesting how we see it differently. So yeah. Yeah. I hate that. You said the phrase, I relate to him because of this next statement that I'm going to say. Which oh, please. Is, no, no.
1: Like, I can take it. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> which is, I got psychopathy vibes off of him real early.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> so
0: pretty early on in the movie, I started to be like, oh, this boy is pretty manipulative and self-focused mm. and creepy in a way that I can't quite put my finger on it. And I like laughed when you said, he's into animals. And I know which scene you're thinking of when you say that, but the reason I laughed was I yeah, was like, yeah, 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 he's into chopping up animals. <laughs> <laughs> but again, what's interesting about... The way that they did this movie, which I think is why it's not a very entertaining movie, but why it's a very award-winning, probably going to be a very award-winning movie, is because they give you a lot of evidence for stuff, but they don't give you answers for stuff. And so you can very easily describe why his choices and his behavior might fall in a antisocial direction. You can also qualify a lot of those same examples as coincidence, or he's into medicine. So a child who wants to be a surgeon, who is currently starting med school, cutting up a bunny and organizing its organs, (laughs) not that unusual. Like that's scientific research. But then you put that in the context of potentially also murdering a person, it like leaves some more questions.
1: It sure does. And I did not see, or maybe did not want to see the potential (laughs) for him murdering a person Uh I did. I was way more on the, Oh, he's just, you know, he's into medicine. And, and while yes, it's a little off putting to see someone so, coldly and specifically as you said yeah (laughs) scientifically yes that's the right word because when when you said (laughs) separate the organs it did make him sound like a serial killer
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was like chopping up animals
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. i know and and look i wanted him to just kind of be odd he's just an odd kid that's into medicine in a world that wants him to just be a rancher and to be a you know hyper masculine dude but i think it's probably closer to what you're talking about or at least somewhere in between what we're what we're both talking about Mm -hmm. that he also probably has some of these things as trauma responses right he he mentions seeing his dad after his dad committed suicide Mm -hmm. it's reasonable to to suspect that he got into let's just say certain hobbies or certain habits (laughs) following that experience
0: imagine dissecting animals as a hobby
1: (laughs) Well, for for soon to be surgeons.
0: No, I I completely. (laughs) agree I don't know. The
1: more you talk about it, the more I think you're probably right that maybe he's just got this because it's. I think it's part of it is like the way that it's shot too. That it's like they don't shoot those scenes like he is like the mean kid from the neighborhood who is
0: not Sid from Toy Story. Is
1: torturing animals. Yeah. It's shot like he's a doctor or like he's a scientist, but Mm -hmm. I think. The more you talk about it, the more I think you're probably right. And that makes me sad for the way I saw it. I think
0: this is exactly how they've done this movie, which is, again, they give you all the evidence you need for whatever conclusion you want to create. So Mm -hmm. do they ever say that anybody in this movie is gay? No, never. What they do is they give you semi-pornographic material with Bronco Henry written on it. So then you go like... Oh, was he interested and attracted to the male Mm -hmm. form? No answer, right? Evidence if you if you're the answer you create is yes. Also evidence if you create the answer no because you're like wasn't actually porn. Didn't act like he could have had it for a million other reasons. Who knows? They give you evidence that Phil admired. Bronco Henry, they also kind of give you evidence that maybe he loved him. And then depending on which direction you want to take, both of those can be true. And then if you want to go in the direction of Phil and Peter are falling in love, they give you evidence that that's the case. There's moments of compassion. There's moments of Mm -hmm. kind of like erotic body language. And then also if you want to believe that Peter is intentionally engaging in that kind of body language in order to be manipulative, they give you evidence for that. Yep. A way like a piece of evidence after I had determined that <laughs> that Peter intentionally killed Phil was when they find the bunny, the injured bunny. He pets it and is like very compassionate with it and then he just breaks its neck without even blinking an eye. And I think that's yep. a perfect example of If you want it to be, this is a compassionate boy who does what he needs to do in your narrative. There you go. There's evidence in your direction.
1: You can see it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: If the conclusion you've come to is my conclusion, which is, oh, he grooms and and comforts and makes this animal comfortable before he snaps its neck. That (laughs) works for my narrative.
1: Sure does. (laughs) Yeah. This movie can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess so. And even the idea, the the sort of question of of Phil's death, right? I think we kind of have to ask the big question here. And I guess for you, it's not really a question. It's no, obviously, this is this is what Peter well,
0: did. It's one of the questions.
1: And 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 look, and and upon further yeah. reading and and reflection, I think I think you're you're right in that Peter probably did, let's just say, create the conditions through which Phil could contract a deadly illness. It's even more interesting in the sense that, okay, if Peter is that cold and calculating Mm -hmm. and maybe antisocial, then surely he could have, you know, intentionally given the not poisoned, but like the the rotting rawhide to mm-hmm. fill while he was finishing mm-hmm. the, the the rope, rope. without mm-hmm. gloves on.
0: And yep. an injury. And yeah. then,
1: yeah, and that's all it takes out in the Old West is one cut on your hand and a little bit of anthrax. And that's and all she wrote. Someone with
0: medical knowledge, right?
1: Yes. Peter being someone with medical knowledge. Yes.
0: Okay. So, so let's say we decide that he does intentionally cause these things to happen, right? yes there's also evidence that he did it out of love for his mother right so then that oh also... absolutely
1: that it could have been a very protective act for yeah.
0: sure which again is parallel to the like the thing we discussed earlier with phil of like is he a horrible person or is does he have a protective narrative that he is really clinging to and reveling in and does that narrative get torn apart as soon as love is introduced mm. And then is it that he's doing these really scary things? Well, does that narrative come apart when love for his mother is introduced? Who knows? More questions, no answers.
1: (laughs) Who knows?
0: (laughs) And again, there's evidence for all of these.
1: Of course. Yeah. And it really, because then, you know, once this sort of plot suggestion is pointed out, you really start to trace back. And it's like Peter saw Phil working on this, this rope very early on into coming back to the ranch if he plotted to do this how early did he decide it was going to be the case because he sort of befriends phil they go on a trip they have a growing emotional connection and the idea that peter was just sort of the whole time thinking i'm I'm just gonna buy my time and wait for the Mm -hmm. opportunity to to strike is really changes this movie for me i have to say
0: yeah. And to be fair yeah. that what you just described is the one thing that I go like, well, okay. Mm-hmm. And basically I go, uh, I was like that my note is, well, this could never have been a long con. There's a lot of chances that happen mm-hmm. that he could potentially use to his advantage. But like, there was also a lot of planning involved. Like he went and extracted intentionally went and extracted anthrax laced hide. And the reason we assume that's intentional is because they're very clear about him putting on protective medical gear gloves um, when he does that. But then again, we ask the question, like, is he just practicing what he's learning? (laughs) Right. But then he also, there's these hints that Phil never wears gloves. And there is the like moment where, he looks at the injury when he hands him this hide and kind of yep. like suggests, oh, this is the circumstances I've been waiting for. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, because yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> when when he first injures the hand, Peter does kind of point it out in shock, yeah. like, Oh my god, are you okay? Like that looks bad. And Phil kind of brushes it off. And, you know, they're having this this moment of catching the rabbit. And yeah, yeah and I guess I'm watching it and it and it feels sort of also. I don't want to say innocent because it's it wasn't fully in that direction, but just sort of like just sort of light. And Mm -hmm. the whole time, I do think that there are these breadcrumbs. And again, to to your earlier point, that we could interpret these interactions very differently. Maybe Peter from the from the moment Phil burned those flowers was like, "I am gonna have my revenge." (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, and also like there are so. One thing with antisocial personality disorder is using deceit in a manipulative way. I don't know how else you would use mm-hmm. deceit. I guess in a protective way. But there's a scene early on where makes it pretty clear that Peter knows that his mom is drinking. Like he like hides the alcohol bottle, and then yep. later when Phil says to him like Your mom's drinking," and he's like, "Is she? Oh my gosh! Like, what are you talking have no about? Yeah, idea. yeah, yeah, and that's pretty manipulative deceit right there. If you see it from this narrative that I've ascribed to, Mm -hmm. it's a nothing thing. If you see it from another narrative, but as you were talking about the, like he gets the injury when they deal with the injured rabbit, I'm curious when in that you may not remember it, but it really stuck out to me at the end of that scene, you see a drop of blood on the wheat Did you just assume that that blood was from his hand?
1: From Phil's hand. Yeah. Yes.
0: So I remember going, is that the rabbit's blood or is that Phil's blood? Mm. And I was at this point already fully on the like train of like, is Peter trustworthy? Mm. And so like, it made me be like, do they want us to, to notice that the rabbit is dead or do they want us to notice that Phil is injured? And now I think both. Hmm. I think that question is the question I think they you're want probably right. us to have. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think left intentionally ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, when we zoom out from from this movie, it's it then becomes much more complex and we we really appreciate uh, these different themes of as as I said up front, you know, love and grief and mm-hmm. trauma and jealousy and sexuality and resentment and and I think appreciate them in a different way because you know, It's not that these feelings and experiences didn't exist 100 years ago, mm-hmm. but that the ways in which they expressed themselves, the ways in which they came out, I think were just naturally much more subtle and, and much more sort of under the surface. You know, you didn't have people going around saying they had panic attacks. They were right. just drinking or they were just taking the horse out and disappearing for hours or days on end or Mm -hmm. just sort of reacting in whatever sort of way they felt they could best cope.
0: There was a huge lack of acceptance, right? Like you weren't allowed to have these feelings. And so when you inevitably had them, because you were human, you found a way to try to bury them or hide them or get rid of them, which is a huge part of the reason why I use acceptance and commitment therapy, which is How can we, on an individual scale, create acceptance of our experiences, create space where we're allowed to have the feelings that we have so that we don't hide and that we don't drink them away and we don't overly protect ourselves in a way that leads to Distancing ourselves from others.
1: Yeah, if only Phil had gotten some acceptance <laughs> to commitment therapy right? and didn't have to, you know, hide his stash of secret
0: Born. pornography or <laughs> hobbies,
1: whatever his interests. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard hard to acknowledge what it is, but that's pretty clear. And and had some support for whatever his experiences were with Bronco Henry. You know, without judgment, without question just sort of
0: allowed
1: to be yeah someone to just let him be himself and i think and if he was (laughs) murdered (laughs) by peter it becomes a little bit of tragedy for phil who if we accept that phil was softening because he was developing this relationship with peter and was letting Uh peter see him and and get to know him and come out on the trips with him it sort of becomes a, a different story about phil too who and and look no qualms was not a good guy, Nope. but you know, like all characters in this movie was complex and obviously had problems that he was probably working through himself as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think another one of the main questions is who's the victim here. Mm. And I, I think it's everyone in a different way.
1: Well, right. And and that's, I think, why this is like, in many ways, like the opposite of a Disney movie, where it's like, there is no, and the grandma overcame all of her lifelong trauma, and we're all happily ever after. Right? Uh because it's they are all flawed they are all and and will still be dealing with trauma long after the credits roll right this is not a a simple or uh, story nor is it a story with an end like this is something that's like things are going to keep happening in this family for for better or worse and and i think in that sense maybe this is like a really powerful way to talk about mental health mm-hmm. without talking about it
0: yeah i think not have mental health often has a comfortable have it has comfortable moments right Right. where we improve or we feel better and often it doesn't often it doesn't feel better and, and often it does feel hard and i think something about having really easy uncomplicated movies is really nice because that isn't our experience and it gives us hope And I think also a movie like this really illustrates the human experience in a lot of complicated ways and does not offer answers where answers don't exist, which again, I think is why it has been nominated for many awards.
1: There you go. Well, and here we were thinking we wouldn't be able to talk about a movie that didn't have very much dialogue.
0: (laughs) At least that's what I
1: was worried about.
0: (laughs) So on a scale from one to five ranch land tennis courts.
1: Mm, nice.
0: How Thanks. <laughs> How accurately do you feel that this portrayed the human experience and mental health?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: <sighs>
1: because it was saying so little directly mm-hmm. about it, I think intentionally or not, it ended up really powerfully reflecting the complex nature of mental health and the human experience. Mm-hmm. It all felt very real, realistic. So to that end, I have to give it, man, like f- uh, 4.5 ranch tennis courts. <laughs> you know, I mean, the things if there was anything that felt, I guess, unrealistic, I mean, it's, it's and it's hard to point out anything specific, but it's just sort of like, vibes and mm-hmm. you know specific character turns and things like that but yeah. i think a lot of that could be perfectly appropriate in the context and the times in which this movie takes place so yeah. so yeah i, I get the movie a lot of credit for that you know whether it was intentionally trying to go this deep without as you said the sort of inner or in many ways outer monologue uh-huh. i think it did a great job
0: yeah i completely agree i think one of the things that isn't a fair or accurate portrayal is the suggestion of like such a long manipulative con sure people are cape some people are capable of that but i also feel like it's not very common
1: yeah yeah so then we're left with probably the more difficult question which is Haley. on a scale of one to five oh man i almost said rabbit organs that's i almost that's, you, said you put that the too. rabbit <laughs> organ scene in my head i'll say one to five piano ditties nice how entertaining did you find the power of the dog
0: i am giving it to i think i often feel that the movies that deserve awards are not as entertaining as movies that don't get awards and i think that this is the case here i think it's art and I think that's why it deserves two piano ditties is because it's a song, <laughs> like it's artistic and it's very well acted. I think every mm-hmm. actor in this was incredible for what their role was. And I didn't care for it. Like at the end of it, I was like, <laughs> I, both of us were just kind of like, do we have to talk about this movie? I'm really glad that we did. Cause I think it, it was very interesting for us to, find out that we were viewing it so differently and I think that makes it really cool but as far as entertaining goes like I just I, I wasn't that entertained I was kind of eh, by it
1: yeah I, I felt the same way I, I it was a w- one of the rare movies that I wish I had seen in theaters instead because mm-hmm. you know the sweeping shots of the old west and the mm-hmm. sort of even the quiet moments are sort of easier to hold you when it's a Mm -hmm. giant screen and you're surrounded by sound and darkness Mm -hmm. whereas you know watching this long movie on my couch Mm -hmm. it was way easier to kind of be distracted by frankly anything else
0: yeah yeah i agree so
1: probably probably why i missed the fact that peter probably murdered phil
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that so we didn't share that in the recording but I shared like, "Oh, well, you know, he has some of the more extreme antisocial symptoms, like abusive people or animals." And you're like, "Where did he abuse people?" I'm like, "Uh, he murdered Phil." <laughs> it was he just kill such... the guy. Yeah, I was like, "Did that didn't isn't that what happened?" And that was like such Peter a fun. Peter kill
1: the guy, Ryan, yeah. did you not see that happen?
0: <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: I guess Um, not.
0: I I almost feel like that that could have been recorded, but that led to us being like, well, clearly the direction we're going to take on this episode is different than both of (laughs) us thought it was. And again, like it kind of makes me admire the movie even more because it does feel like a projective test. It's, it is what you make it.
1: Yeah. It could be whatever you wanted it to be. If you want, if you felt Phil was the bad guy and deserved his untimely death, then that's what you got. And and Peter and Rose and George live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. If you are worried that Peter is now some kind of like Dexter type serial killer, that could be like The Power of the Dog too. Who knows?
0: Oh, gosh, I don't want to watch a, a sequel.
1: <laughs> okay, we won't. <laughs> we'll goes. say we've had enough of this one. And And as always, we'll say thank you all so much for listening. A weird movie, but something we were kind of into as it seems (laughs) so please if you have other things you want us to read to watch definitely shout us out on any social media pop psych 101 and thank you for listening
0: thank you
1: bye bye